The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Once again, we just want to welcome you guys. Excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, for those that are watching online, excited to be with you in your living room or wherever you're watching. Uh, we want to highlight one thing before we get started. Next Sunday night is a great opportunity. If you enjoyed this worship like I did this morning, you have an opportunity to do it even more. Uh, Next Sunday night, as we kind of ring in the new year a week later, uh, we're going to have a night of worship uh, right here in this room uh, where we get to celebrate the new year, get to come together, hear some testimonies from fellow TBCers of encouragement and what God's done uh, in their lives as it relates to the core values of TBC. So it's going to be a great night uh, next Sunday night. So please join us if you can. So we're looking today at an achievable rule of life. We purposefully have the resolution crossed out, as you'll see a little bit later. We're looking at the book of 2 John. And uh, when it comes to the new year, uh, you know, there's a lot of... uh, Memes you're going to see over the next week or so, or some you've already seen, uh, things that kind of describe who you are and what you're going to be. I think we even have one maybe on the screen here, uh, that next slide. Let's check that one out. Nope, not that. Uh, So, uh, yes, uh that's it. Yes. So, you're going to have a lot of New Year's resolution posts heading your way. A lot of things that are coming at you, maybe you're going to post them because you're so excited about 2024 and how different it's going to be uh, from the previous year. We think about resolutions. We think about that idea. It's kind of fascinating to me. So I was kind of curious over the past week or two to kind of look into the history a little bit. It's an interesting history. It actually dates back over 4,000 years to the Babylonians. And the Babylonians, they... They believed that if they kept these resolutions, that the gods would bless them. Both Babylonians and and Romans celebrated uh, the start of the new year actually in March. And then it didn't change actually until 46 BC when Julius Caesar instituted the Julian calendar in honor of the god Janus. And so Janus, this god was symbolically, he actually has two faces a one face to look back at the previous year and one face to look at the year to come. And so that's where we get, we have January starting the new year now. And so for them, it was an opportunity for them to kind of celebrate, to make pledges. And it was embedded into their spirituality. It was embedded into power structures as new uh, officials took office. And so it was all this, embedded in even into societal fabric of Roman culture. So when it comes to resolutions, what you can say if anybody asks you about one is you can just say, I'm not involved in pagan practices (laughs) and just kind of do a little juke on them and say, you know, I'm good. But in reality, it's, it's important for us to see that when someone brings up resolutions, we kind of have this maybe twitching effect for us because maybe we've tried them before and they haven't worked. We've attempted them and we've failed. So my suggestion would be to consider replacing resolutions with the rule of life. And this isn't unique to me. I didn't think of this myself. 
Pastor Jeremy Lineman does an ex- excellent job detailing this concept in a Gospel Coalition article entitled Skip Resolutions, Make a Rule of Life. And it's actually the QR code. You can scan it if you want. Just don't read the article right now, preferably. Well, you can scan it, but it's also in the online sermon notes. And it's a great uh, kind of read just to help us understand what does it look like to not just be making resolutions each year that change and maybe that we often fail at, but instead make this rule of life. And so what is a rule of life? He kind of describes it this way. A rule of life contains spiritual, relational, and vocational rhythms needed to sustain the life in Christ we've been called to. So it's not just one year I'm trying this and then another year I'm trying that. These are foundations that you build on year to year as you go throughout your life glorifying God. So he challenges the reader to skip the resolution tendency that they often fail at, and instead he calls you to intentionally create time and space to enjoy deep fellowship with God so that he can reorient and direct your days to increasingly glorify him along the way. So it's a reorientation of our life. It's not just, I want to lose weight, which is not a horrible goal. I want to exercise more, that's great. We should honor God with our body. But it's a change in attitude and it's a change in our foundations and what we build on. And so as I consider what to share in this message between what we just covered in Advent over the last weeks and heading into a time where we talk about TBC core values over the next few weeks, I I was drawn to this book, this little book, 2 John. I was drawn to it for a number of different reasons. It has warnings for us. It has encouragement into the new year. It, it has a call to a counterculture lifestyle that's crucial in this proper rule of life. So we're going to look at this short book and kind of jump around a little bit as these themes work together in different verses. But looking at verse 1 through 3 of 2 John, it says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. It's kind of interesting that he includes truth how many times? One, two, three, four times in the first three verses. There's this foundation there, right? And so, first of all, just to kind of address who he's writing to, there's not a lot of agreement on what this is. It could be a a lady who is a, a foundational leader in the church, and specifically her children, but it's also considered to be potentially a, a re- reference to a church, which was also referred to in Scripture oftentimes in the female form, the bride as well, and speaking to the people in that church. So we can see you know, that most likely it's probably referring to a church, but hey, it could be a lady and her great, wonderful spiritual children. But in verse 2 and 3, it shows us that a person with a consistent relationship with the foundation of truth and love will regularly display grace, mercy, and peace in their lives. If we're connected to the foundation of all that exists, then increasingly in your life you will display these things. Grace and love and mercy and peace. So first, let's look at some warnings that John gives 
So we'll jump over to verse 7 and 8 and 10 and 11. We're going to look at some warnings here. Verse 7, he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the antichrist. So he says, first, be careful of deceivers. Refers back to 1 John 2. He actually refers to these people again as Antichrist in, John, in 1 John 2. In John, he talks about deceivers. He, a lot of times in his writings, he's highlighting deceivers. There were a lot of them back then in the early church. And Jesus speaks of deceivers in the Sermon on the Mount, even Matthew 7, 15. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So when it comes to deception, there's a lot of opportunity to be deceived in our world. A lot of enemies that are coming to deceive us. And there's an author and speaker, Ray Pritchard, uh, talks about deception. And he, he talks about three ways in which sin deceives us. First is that sin deceives us by promising what it can never deliver. Sin deceives us by promising what it can never deliver. Sin says, go ahead, you'll enjoy it. Go ahead, tell that lie. Go ahead and cheat on your spouse. Look at those images on your phone. Get that divorce. Cheat to get ahead. It will bring you happiness. There's this deception, right? What was it the serpent said to Eve? Eat the fruit and you'll be like God. Sin deceives us by promising what it can never deliver. Secondly, sin deceives us by convincing us that what happens to others will never happen to us. Let's say that we know that 10 times out of 10, people get caught when they sin, right? Sin convinces us that we're the exception, and somehow there's an 11th opportunity Sin does that in deceiving us. It says, wait a minute, are you kidding me? You're going to be different. You're going to get away with it. The serpent said to Eve, what? You shall surely not die. So here's the serpent deceiving. And thirdly, sin deceives us by creating in us a desire for that which we know can only hurt us. Sin creates a desire in us for that which we know can only hurt us. A little voice says, go ahead. It's not a big deal. It's just one look, one glance, one time. It's not that big a deal. And it ends up swallowing us whole. See, we stupidly go ahead even though we know we're gonna suffer for it. When Eve looked at that fruit, she saw that it was good to look at, good to touch, good to taste. So she took it, she ate it. And we've been taking and eating ever since. It's deceiving. See, we're no different, even though we know that every time we take and eat, it will hurt us. That's the deceitfulness of sin. And I beg you, before you, on the last day of 2023, don't see yourself deceived in 24. Maybe you look back, and even in our prayer time, looking back, it was tough for you to be thankful because you found yourself deceived over and over again and falling into sin and giving in and just having a pattern of this in your life. And this warning is powerful for us from John. Don't be deceived. Verse 8, John gives another warning. Watch yourselves so you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Watch yourselves. You know, we say this could never happen to me. I've been around this 
church game for a long time, since actually before I was born. I've been in it, all around it. And there's so many people that I've watched in my life for 49 years that have said, this will never happen to me. And I've looked at them and said, there's no way this could happen to them. There's no way they could lose their family. There's no way that they could fall away in this manner. And over and over again, I watched deception take an ugly root in their heart. And before they knew it, they know it, they look back and their life is destroyed. So heed this warning to watch yourselves. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. So you'll have many opportunities to be deceived in the coming year. Watch out. And then verse 10 and 11 says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Forever, whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. This encouragement kind of comes back to seven and eight about deceivers, this warning. These people who are proclaiming a false message and John warns them, hey, don't waste time on them. Don't open yourself up for deception. Now there's times in your life to confront. There's times in your life where you gotta get in that battle, but there's also times where you realize, you know what, I'm just wasting my time. And so for him, he's saying, don't even take part in it. Don't be deceived. So he gives some warnings, but then he moves on into some encouragement as well. And some of them can be warnings and encouragement at the same time. But look at verse four to six. John's pretty happy writing this letter. He says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And I, now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, that we have love, but we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you've heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. He gives an encouragement. It's kind of interesting that John chose to focus on those walking in the truth. Remember, he jumps into verse 10 and he says, you know, don't waste your time with the negative people, the people who are deceiving, right? It seems that if you look back on 2023, maybe you wasted a lot of time on the negative. Wasted a lot of time on the people, you know, just that are around you maybe that are just bring you down and drag you down. And John's kind of giving encouragement here to say, you know what? Maybe think about the positive for the new year. Maybe think about things that are exciting. And it's not stick your head in the sand and pretend everything is good like my personality would lean toward, right? My personality is like, yeah, everything's good. Life's a party. Let's go. Let's not really think about death and, and sickness and things like that. I'm not saying that up here on the stage, but there's a lot of you in here that maybe tend to focus on negative and tend to have the negative people around you that are pulling you down. And maybe for the new year, you can say, you know what? Maybe I'm not spending so much time on that. Maybe I'm looking for something new and 2024 can be a, a year when you leave the negative behind and look at some positive things that God can do in your life. Verse five and six, we see an age old command to love one another. 
I love this reference here. It's all throughout Scripture. Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And what did he give? He gave a quote from the Old Testament, from the Shema, from a well-known Old Testament command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he follows it up. Look at Matthew, uh, listen to Matthew 22, 37 to 39. He said to him, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So John reminds these readers of this letter. Your life should be one that's signified and identified by love. Author Jeff Chapman says, when human beings love, when we do what God made us to do, we discover the great joy of life. You want true joy in the coming year, 2024? Maybe you're thinking about a new purchase you're gonna make, maybe a big purchase. Maybe you're thinking about a new job or welcoming a grandchild or getting married or Maybe just simply passing school. I don't know what it is you're looking forward to. Maybe think about this. True joy. Maybe you can make a goal of just simply loving others well. Maybe you can make a good, a good goal for this coming year. to Think about how can I love others more? In verse 9, he, he talks about this even a little bit more. He says, everyone goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both father and son. So he's saying here, hey, if you don't live out your faith in love, the evidence shows that you really don't truly have God. Jesus speaks clearly on this in Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. So maybe we can pause and ask this question. What do you want to be known for in 2024? Not what you've been known for. Because some of you in this room, you know what your kids know you as? The dude that's obsessed with sports more than his relationship with God. And that's what your kids know you as from 23. Or maybe somebody who's just obsessed with social media or their phone and they just can't get off it and that's what you've been known as even from your kid's perspective. And what you have the opportunity to do is leave whatever it is behind from 23 and look ahead to 24 and say, what am I gonna be known as? And what will people see in my life for 24? What will you be known for? Jesus says the tree and the fruit that comes from it is obvious. You can say you're one thing, but what you produce is who you are. Jonathan Edwards puts it this way. To love our neighbor as ourselves is the sum of the moral law respecting our fellow creatures and to help them and to contribute to the relief is the most natural expression of this love it is vain to pretend to a spirit of love to our neighbors when it is grievous to us to part with anything for their help. They who love only in word and not deed have no love in truth. 
So some of you might ask, like, how do I make this more natural? You know, for some of you, you know, you might be speaking, saying, you know, for some people it's just easy for them. It just seems natural to give love and to serve others and give of time and energy. And I'm just not really wired that way. That's just not how I operate. And I understand that. There's, there's characteristics, there's things that we lean toward. My encouragement maybe even for this coming year is to look at those who actually do it naturally and do it well. And just be friends with them and come alongside them and just enjoy that time and enter into their lives as they serve and as you serve together, then it just naturally happens. It brings to mind my friends Gino and Patty back in the back middle. I didn't even tell them I was going to bring them up. It's not even in my notes, but there you are. Spotlight on you back there. Uh, but it reminds me of a, a paragraph that they just wrote for the coming newsletter, simple plug for the local outreach newsletter coming up. Uh, but they wrote a little paragraph and it was this. I asked them, how did you get into serving so much? How, how is it that your life embodies service? And when people talk about you, that's what they think of. It was just a simple paragraph that said, Gino, and Logan were, were jumping into a junior high service project. Actually, not many people showed up over at CTLC. They were helping out, give food out to people, and they came home and told Patty all about it. And as they told Patty, they all just kind of jumped in and said, let's go back. And for the next eight and a half years, until COVID hit, they went back almost weekly. So it was just not anything like magical. It was just like, hey, jump in and try it. And you're going to see that it's amazing. It's fun. It's enjoyable. Sometimes it's tough and it's hard. But it's all wrapped up in this great joy that comes from serving and loving others. My friend Keith, he, he did it this way. He's like, hey, I'm flexible, you know, as far as my schedule. I work from home. Just text me when you need help. And I text him. He might regret actually saying that to me because I text him often. Say, hey, we got this dresser we got to deliver. We got this mattress that needs to go here. There's bags of clothes that someone donated. And so it's just a matter of coming alongside one another in the body of Christ, serving together. This theme is throughout John's writings, 1 John 4, 21. This is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. There's so many opportunities if you just look around you. Go on our website, go to the local outreach page, and you can see countless opportunities to make loving others a priority in 2024. See, verse 9, the second half of that, abiding and teaching as both Abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Abiding shows that you are a Christian as you abide in Christ. There's a book I'm reading right now by Andrew Wilson. It's called God of All Things, Seeing the Sacred in Everyday Things. This is an amazing book. I'm only halfway through it. But one of the things I love about this book, and some of you might love it as well, some of you are a little crazy and love those really thick books, but this book, every chapter is like four or five pages. It's amazing. And for an ADD brain like mine, that's all I can handle. I can't read chapters and chapters because I can't focus. I got to have a couple pages. And he just takes simple things in the created world and just does a chapter on them. 
And it's just fascinating to me as he illustrates different things like the stars and the galaxies. And he even gets into one particular topic that is interesting, the topic of pigs. He gives a specific chapter just on pigs. And he talks about pigs and talks about how when they're alive, they're just dirty and smelly, right? I don't know if you've ever been around a bunch of pigs, but it's pretty gross and, and you got to hold your nose, you know, they're in the mud. I could go into some of the things they eat, but you might get sick. And there's a lot of things that happen, the flies around, and even in Scripture, they were determined to be unclean, right? And it's just nasty when they're alive, right? But then something happens. Like around the holidays, when we go to someone's house, we're invited, we're called to bring a vegetable, right? And my wife says, hey, let's make these. And she gets green beans and bundles them up into little, wonderful little patches of green beans. And she melts butter and brown sugar and makes a marinade. And then what is it that she does with those little bundles? Anybody know? Wraps them in bacon. And she cooks those things, and they come out of the oven, and you drop them in the buffet line, and they're the first thing to go. Now, do they have any nutritional value at that point? Probably not. Probably could have left the probably out. But here's the deal. A pig alive, stinky, smelly, gross, nasty. A pig dead and cooked? Wow. Right? And some of you I've offended. I have a pet pig, I'm sorry. Delightful and tasty, the smell of sizzling bacon, the taste could make a vegetarian second guess their life choices, right? It just is what it is. Turkey bacon, fake bacon, no. I've tried that junk. But here's the deal. A pig alive walking around, grunting and groaning. You know who's compared to that in Scripture? Anybody know? That's us. That's us. But in this book, in this book, what Andrew Wilson points out, this is kind of a summary of this chapter. He says, death in our case the death of Christ has taken that which was filthy and untouchable and made us aromatic and delightful by the grace of God. And because of Jesus' death, and then because we have the life of Christ in us and we die to self, then we can be a pleasing aroma, a pleasing sacrifice, ones who actually draw attention, not to ourselves, but to the one who died and made us new. So we're called to love and we're called to transformation. 
And maybe there's someone in this room or someone hearing at home that maybe hasn't been transformed yet. You can receive that offering today to say, I'm dead in my sin. My sin has left me nothing. My sin has left me longing for something more. And this something more is the Savior. This something more is the light of the world who takes our stink, it takes our mess, and takes our grossness and our just who we are in and of ourselves by ourselves and transforms us into something beautiful, something fragrant, something aromatic, something exciting, something appealing. And that's what can happen in your life as well. So lastly, let's consider a call to humility. It's the only thing, the only response from this death. So two weeks ago, I spoke about the angels inviting the lowly shepherds. As my wife and I discussed the details surrounding this amazing encounter in Luke 2, we found ourselves, and her specifically, reminding me being drawn to this characteristic that's found in most of the people, if not all the people that God has chosen throughout history. And this characteristic is humility. It's an interesting one. And as we discussed this further, we came to the same conclusion that this characteristic lived out is a direct sign of two things. Number one, that we are in Christ. And number two, we are actively living out the greatest command. So let's take a few moments to kind of contrast the the two, pride and humility. So pride shows itself in so many different ways. I'd just like to highlight a few. Number one, you won't find probably any more displays of pride than on social media, right? We see them everywhere. This is a great little quote. When you're busy bragging about your perfect life on social media, remember there are people who know you in real life. (laughs) Pride displays itself everywhere on social media. and It can be a good thing, and don't get me wrong, I'm not sitting here bashing it because I'm on it, and I see the effects of what good can do. But with any new thing, not even new really, but anything, it can really hurt us as well when it comes to our testimony. Pride also shows itself in achievements uh, where we fish for affirmation. I don't know if anybody's like me, but I need lots of affirmation in my life, right? You did a good job, Tim. And the youngest of four kids, I need to feel that. I need to own that, right? And so we say things like, I can't believe I did so well. I thought it would be more difficult. And people are going to say, oh, no, you're smart. You can do this, right? Or we say things like, "Uh, I'm not very good at fill in the blank. Oh, no, you're really good, right? You're amazing. Exactly what I wanted to hear. Thanks. Or we say statements like, I wish I were more blank. Or, man, that workout was tough. Oh, you worked out? Wow. You're always working out. So we're always fishing, right? Sporting events. Oh, man. See that on display? Someone does something amazing, pound my chest, do the Superman, point to the name on the back of the jersey. One of the craziest displays of pride in sports I've ever seen, I had to share with you guys today. Check out this video. Let him cook. Let him cook now. Let him cook. I said, let him come! Wow. 
That's amazing. <laughs> Some of you just felt such satisfaction in just watching that, right? Why did we, well, anyway, I'm not gonna go into that, but pride displays itself in so many ways, whether it's athletics, whether it's affirmation. Let's think about it this way. When you were a kid, you needed validation, attention, affirmation. It's a good thing. A kid without that really grows up to be kind of a monster. And so we need these things in our lives, this love, this affection, you know, you color a picture and you just do the best you can and you run to your mommy and say, look, look what I, I colored. And even if it looks horrible, right? Like I got them on my wall, on my, in my office on the door and some of those pictures are just like, they wouldn't win any awards. But my kids did them, right? And it's like, oh, it's so amazing. Look what you did. It's just like a mess of colors. But you needed that from your mom or maybe, maybe with your dad, you know, you, you worked on a somersault and you were just working and working and just trying to get that little somersault down on the ground and you say, Daddy, look, look, I learned how to do it. And then you, you start and you kind of get stuck on the top of your head and you fall sideways, right? But your dad's like, oh, wow. He didn't like, oh, you gotta work on that, son. Go back and see me later when you can actually do a real one. Now your dad's like, whoa, amazing. You did so good to me. Great job. But now imagine yourself, okay, you're whatever years old now. Some of you are kids, so you can just stay where you're at, you know, impressing your parents. But the rest of us, imagine you. You go to Olive Garden, right? And they bring the kids' menu. You got your grandkids with you, your kids, your little kids with you. And you steal that uh, <clears throat> coloring sheet. And you start coloring and you stay in the lines and use all the colors, and you're coloring and coloring so well, and you display it to your family. Look, look at what I did. Are you guys proud? How ridiculous. I mean, you're a moron, right? It's like, okay. So you colored a picture. Wow, that's, that's impressive. Or, or you go on the trampoline in the backyard and you do a flip. Like, Candace, where were you? You didn't see my flip? Look, I'll do it backwards. Maybe you can jump for joy. Looking for affirmation for the same way you did it when you were a kid is ridiculous, right? Is it? It's kind of interesting. See, a lot of us do this regularly on social media and one-on-one conversations and even in our own heads. We find ourselves hunting for approval and affirmation and unfortunately ends up being displayed through the sin of pride and we get so used to it that we don't even notice it. Now I gotta just tattle myself because I just ripped all you and felt, made you feel bad. I'm included here, I'm not saying I'm not. My wife makes everything function in our house in such an amazing way. And mostly doesn't get acknowledged for it. I cook some meals. I empty the dishwasher, I wash some pots and pans, and you know what I need? I need to be noticed. What, did you like what I cooked for you? I didn't hear you say thank you. Man, that pan was really nasty. I had to soak it first and get the little scraper out. But it's pride, right? You laugh, but then you probably cry because it's true of all of us. Pride just eats away at our soul and just ruins our testimony. 
Watch any family play Mario Kart together and you'll see what happens. I just say that because I did that last night and just ruined my testimony. So let's look at what is displayed in the other sense in a person that follows Jesus, which is the opposite of pride, which is humility. Here's some old, uh, an Old Testament example. Moses, he's a man who was handpicked by God. If anyone had an opportunity for pride, it was Moses. And Numbers 12, 3 says this about him. The man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Then you jump into the New Testament and people we just studied over the last few weeks, just that story, right? The birth of Jesus. Mary had many reasons to brag. She was chosen as the mother of the Son of God, right? And what does she say in Luke 1, 46 and 47? My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of the servant, of his servant. Joseph, although hesitating at first, because who wouldn't? <laughs> Joseph received the message from the angel and willingly took on ridicule and embarrassment in humble obedience. Obedience to what God called him to. And then the shepherds, as we looked at two weeks ago, they could have profited greatly from the Messiah, right? First ones to get to see him, set up a booth and sell all kinds of merch, right? We're the ones He came to us first. Buy my pennant, get this balloon, get these Jesus socks, whatever it is, right? They could have benefited. But what did they respond? How did they respond in Luke 2.20? They returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. In present day, I could go on and on. I highlighted two in the back. I could highlight another man who sits back in this back left corner. It's a friend of mine named Gil, who serves TISD relentlessly, who on Christmas Eve is going a few doors down from his house, checking in on a, a fa two families who migrated from Argentina. On the way up from their, their journey, the kids were actually sharing a candy bar just to be able to make it here. And here he is on Christmas Eve, cutting away from time with his family to make sure they're taken care of. These are the humble people that I see. And these are the humble people we can learn from. These are the humble people we can become because of the blood of Jesus Christ. My temptation in preparing this talk was to do the usual pastor thing, come up with three points. Three simple ways, you know. Simple steps to make better resolutions to be more humble as a believer. But I realized quickly that we don't need more steps added to the ones we already fail at. What we need is to adopt an achievable rule of life. And this element in this rule of life that you can adopt that will, I confidently can say, will transform your life and I promise, there's not a lot of promises that you can make from a stage, but I promise you, it will change you, it will change the others or others around you, it will change your mindset, the way you spend your money, the way you use your time, it can change your entire life for 2024. 
You'll be a more humble servant of Jesus, living out the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. You actually have heard this many times from Dave, Chase, myself. You will hear it many times in the future. And this is the simple statement. The simple element of a rule of life is to abide in Jesus. Abide in the vine and it will transform your life you will go from a prideful, arrogant, self-consumed person to someone who begins to think of others more than themselves, to someone who thinks of the way that they're about to spend money and says, hey, maybe someone needs this. Maybe someone needs this help right now. And transform your life. John 15, 4 and 5 says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for your love your mercy and grace. God, we've been challenged from your word to consider what it looks like in our lives for something different in 24. To heed the warnings of the deceivers that are coming after us and not be deceived by sin and others who would try to convince us of another way. Lord, we've received your encouragement to love others and to love you more. Lord, help us to reject pride. Even now, I pray that we'll confess that pride and that sin to you. Lord, for those that don't know you, those who haven't trusted you yet as their savior, I pray that today, the last day of 2023, that maybe they can receive you as their king and to recognize that they need a savior. Lord, as we focus on you during this final song, Lord, may it be a time of confession, a time of renewal, a time of a new purpose in our lives to love you well, to love others well, and display humility to the world. In your name we pray, amen.